Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. How y'all doing this morning? You have either avoided the flu thus far or just finished it. The hands of the people who finished it recently. Yeah. Mm. We got calls this morning about uh, uh, folks in the church who uh, discovered overnight that they are no longer immune. And so um, it has long been a practice of God's people to pray for the sick. And it's why we did that just now. And it's why I encourage you uh, in the weeks to come, would you continue to pray for our people? You know how it goes. When somebody else has the cold or flu, you say, oh, it's too bad. And you go on with your life and you think they should probably toughen up a little bit. And then when you have the cold or a flu, it's the living death, right? Well, pray like you um, are experiencing the living death for those in our number who are. And, um, and, and pray that in the middle of the time that they have down, you know, those days fly to your back, that um, instead of it being filled with um, YouTube and whatever you can Chromecast, that God himself will draw close to those who are sick and weak and vulnerable. I have found that uh, in the middle of some of my days of sickness, I have had some sweet communion with the Lord. I've also come to believe that it didn't happen automatically or because I'm a great guy. It happened because God's people were praying for me. You know, mom and the rest of God's people, right? (laughs) I had a handful of surprise or surprising conversations this week. I have some of those every week. You do too, right? Did you have one of those or a few of those this week where you went, man, I didn't see that one coming? Yeah. This week, uh, there was a stellar lineup of those in my life. Um, it ranged from, uh, from uh, there's a stand of redwoods growing in Lewiston. Did you know this? Redwood trees? I mean like the redwood trees. There's a stand of them growing here in Lewiston. And I got to go look at them. Sure enough, they're trees, really tall. Um, but I didn't see that conversation coming. I got to have a, a conversation about human sexuality. Um, these days probably shouldn't surprise me, but uh, that one kind of surprised me. Didn't, didn't see that one coming. I had a conversation with a guitar repair technician this week that really was a surprise and not of the good kind to me. My most, uh, my most favorite guitar um, is not doing well. Would you pray for it as well? <laughs> or pray for Laura, because I'll buy a new one. And uh, pray for our marriage. Um, yeah. Yeah. Had a, a number of surprising conversations this week. I didn't get to prepare for them. I didn't get to research. I didn't get to even stop and, and pray and, and ask the Lord to, to help me to listen well. You know, any of that, just bam, right in the middle of this conversation that I didn't see coming. And now I, I need to know how to respond. And you know what? I checked my pulse this morning, still alive. I made it through every one of those conversations. Some of them were, you know, kind of um, uh, tense. But in the middle of a tense conversation, I was able to experience the Lord's peace. And here I sit after I don't know how many uh, conversations that came without warning. And I'm doing well. And I am enjoying the blessings of God in my life. What do you know? 
survived another week. Over the last few weeks, we've been, uh, since the start of the year, really once again going back to the basics, believing that it's focusing on those basics that makes anybody great, the essentials, whether you're talking about sports or spirituality, it's focusing on the essentials and drilling down and, and, and really taking those things to heart and focusing on them that produces greatness. And so um, every year that I get to be your pastor, there will come a point where we come right back near the beginning of the year to the business of discipleship, and we will redefine it, and we will reanalyze it, and we will recommit ourselves to it. Why? Because Jesus gave the church a mission. It's not optional. He said, you should go and make more disciples for me. And we said, um, weren't the disciples people who lived 2,000 years ago? And Jesus said, some of them, but I expect you to go and make some more. And so we need to know what disciples are. And so we've kind of narrowed it down, though it can be a complex, multi-layered onion kind of thing. We've kind of narrowed it down to a disciple is someone who connects and grows and serves. They connect with God and other people. They do whatever it takes to really grow in their faith. And then they live a lifestyle of service as a way of demonstrating the love of God to other people and as a way of coming to experience that full life that Jesus promised, that he said was the whole reason that he came. And so we've been talking about connecting over the last few weeks. Uh, A few weeks ago, Steve and I got to sit up here and have a conversation about about service. We're going to do that again next week. Um, And I would ask you to come and and, uh, listen in and, and continue that conversation with us. But today, I want to talk to you about a surprise conversation that you are about to have. I know that it's coming, but you don't. And because I love you, I'm going to let you in on the little secret ahead of time so that you can be a little bit ready. See, when, when you came to this place that you said, I, I trust that what Jesus did on the cross... It was enough to pay the penalty for my sin and I can be forgiven. And you welcomed God into your life. You received a whole lot of things. We're going to unpack that for the rest of your life. Some incredible blessings, but you also took upon yourself some holy and sacred obligations. And one of them is to have conversations with your family, friends, co-workers, and so forth about this faith that you have in Jesus And as soon as I said that, a bunch of you went, oh, you were going to take a big deep breath, but you only took half of one because you are already nervous. You're sitting in a room full of people who already suspect that you love Jesus. And as soon as I said, you should talk to people about it, you went, and the reason that I know that is because I have taken a lot of those half breaths in my life. But we have this, this holy and sacred obligation I promise you that it can become one of the sweetest, most sacred privileges of your life as well, the opportunity to talk to other people about your faith in him. But I also know that there's some some tension and some worry that comes up front because you're worried uh, about a handful of things. You're worried you won't get it right. You'll make God look unappetizing or uh, offensive, and you will run all of your friends and family away from him. They'll want nothing to do with him and be eternally lost, and it'll be all your fault. 
Anybody who's ever thought that, get honest this morning. Been worried about that? Okay. Yep. Me too. And I've told you the story before. I'll tell it again this morning. Poor Seth. Back when, when I was in seminary and some ridiculous church board said, we trust you to be the youth uh, people. Laura and I were, were meeting with teenagers once a week trying to teach them the scriptures, teach them how to live for Jesus and how to love each other. And this kid, Seth, kept showing up. I never met Seth's parents. I knew where he lived. I could drop him off there, but nope, I, I don't want you to meet my parents and all of that. And, um, and then I was, in, I was in seminary at the time, and I was taking a class where you had to learn. There used, we used to teach people there was a technique to this. And you had to learn how to present the gospel, and then you had to go and do it, and then you had to write a paper about how it went and forced to face my fear I went to youth group on Sunday night. And I pulled Seth aside and I said, Seth, um, you've been coming for a while and you've probably noticed we're kind of religious around here. Yeah. And um, you know why that is? Mm, no, not really. I'm kind of here for the hot dogs. I said, yeah, but um, we offer something far better than hot dogs. And so I started talking to Seth. And I mean, the conversation just came completely off the tracks. I'm not kidding. I'm in Leviticus talking about animal sacrifices, and if you don't have a lamb, goats are okay, and it was horrible. I mean, it was just, it was like, it was just horrible. I could tell it was horrible for him. I think it was worse for me, but um, I finally, I don't know, 30 minutes into my droning, I just looked at Seth and said, "Does does that sound like something you might be interested in? And he said, no, can I go? I said, yes, and he had hot dogs and a good time. And he's probably never going to go to heaven because of me. Um, I don't really believe that. Here's the thing. The story actually happened. It was actually that bad. And you want to know why? It's because I tried to make something happen in Seth's life that the Holy Spirit didn't have him um, ready to do. It's also because... um, um, there was a guy at the seminary who was making me do something I wasn't ready to do, but that I needed to be ready to do. So I got a C, I think, from Dr. Shaver on, on Seth's spiritual life. And, uh, and I got a very valuable handful of, of lessons Today, I want to talk to you about how to have spiritual conversations with your social circle, because it shouldn't ever go as badly as it did with knucklehead number one and Seth. And what I want to do this morning is, um, is, is just give you like the, the nuts and bolts basics, and then read a story and reflect on it some, okay? Here's the how-to. See, there, there are some people in your life who don't yet know the nuts and bolts of this faith of ours. They know there's this God. They know there's Jesus. They're not sure exactly how that all relates to one another or to their lives, but that you're kind of thumbs up about God and Jesus. But because all human beings are spiritual, all human beings have some level of spiritual interest. It's higher at certain times in their lives, and you kind of have to pay attention to that. But if you just kind of sort of pay attention to that, and you kind of sort of pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is, is prompting you to do in your own heart, you're going to find some times when, when today's the day and now is the moment 
to have some sort of spiritual conversation. And now listen, because this is worth its weight in gold, all right? When that time comes, just talk about something spiritual. Seriously, just anything that has to do with religion or spirituality, just start talking about it. And I have, I'm not going to teach you any kind of bullet points or anything to say when it comes to those points because I have a supreme confidence in the Holy Spirit who's working in your life, who's working in the lives of your friends and your family, who's bringing these moments and these people together. And I've read the scriptures. Jesus himself in Matthew 18 said, you're going to get lots of opportunities And when those opportunities come, do not worry about what to say. I will put the words in your mouth. Now, the the people that he was saying that to were his first disciples, and he said it in a little bit more of a high-pressure situation. What he said is, they're going to arrest you, and they're going to stand before kings and rulers of all kinds. And when you get that chance... Just relax, because I'm going to tell you what to say. The day that shall live in infamy in Seth's life and mine, there was one problem and exactly one. I did not rely on God's Holy Spirit to put words in my mouth, and I started giving him a religious spiel, and he could tell And I could tell, and so could the Holy Spirit. And he's not into that. So he just kind of left us, (laughs) me and Seth, to crash and burn a little bit. Lord, send somebody else to Seth. Probably already have. Seth's probably a pastor today telling about that weird guy that one time tried to pressure him into being a Christian. But I mean it exactly like I said it to you. When you can tell that the time comes... Any sort of conversation that just gets the ball rolling about spiritual things is enough to open the door for God's Holy Spirit to come in and direct your mind, direct your thoughts, take all those things that you've listened from mama, from your Sunday school teachers, from your youth pastors, and from me, and to weave all of that together for you and the people who are important to you to have a conversation that leads them one step closer to faith in him. You may be privileged once in a while to be the person who shows them how to take the last step, the one that, where they actually connect in a saving relationship with God, but you won't know it before that time. Your job is just to have the conversation knowing that God's going to use you to take one, help them take one little step closer. So um, I, I, we could skip the Bible reading, and that would be the sermon for today. Just, just be ready to start talking when the Lord brings that sweet spot between readiness in their life and and readiness in yours, and you can tell it. And I would feel really good, actually, about just saying, that's it. Except in seminary, they told me I was supposed to read the Bible to you guys. So so I'm going to read the Bible to you guys. And uh, it's a story about uh, a guy who had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. And then afterwards... He ran into some people and had a conversation with them about it. And I just, I want you to, you you typically read this story through a different lens. But today I want you to read the story with me and and look at it as just a guy who had some kind of life-changing encounter with Jesus. And then 
realized an opportunity to talk with his community about it. We're going to look at John chapter 9. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth, fourth book in the New Testament. Uh, John chapter 9, we'll begin reading with verse 1. And I would ask you please to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Lord, as, as we look to this story that many of us have, have read dozens and dozens of times, and that some of us are reading for the very first time today, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to kind of open our hearts a little bit and help us to understand things that we haven't understood before. In human failings, as told in this story, um, we can find the hope that you'll use us in our weakness and failings. And in all of this, Lord, we pray that you would increase our faith, that we might trust you enough to use us in this important, incredibly important way. Together we ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, so I'm reading from John chapter 9. begins like this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, "Uh, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? And some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, well, the man they called Jesus made mud, And spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and I washed and now I can see. Where is he now? They asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. This is the part where in, um, you know, good melodrama, the crowd goes, (gasps) so do it with me once. (laughs) Yeah, that's how that was supposed to go. This man is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. (laughs) Others said, "But, but, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who'd been born blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? And the man replied, well, I think you must be a prophet. 
the Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see? His parents replied, well, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. And that's why they said, he's old enough, ask him. So, for the second time, they called in the man who'd been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this. Because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied. I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. Drops the mic and walks off the stage, right? But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And then all these good religious people, listen to this. Then they cursed him and said, you're his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. Hmm. Then he offers his own commentary, kind of an interesting thing. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It's a healing story. It's, it's one of the weird healing stories. You know, there's, there's a handful of categories of the miracles of Jesus. There's the ones where... You know, he controls the elements like storms. Those are fascinating. They're God-sized kind of miracles. There's this, this one that began his ministry where he kind of sort of secretly turned water into wine and was hoping to keep it a secret. You see Jesus doing things like, uh, you know, cursing a fig tree because he was mad one day and it wouldn't uh, produce, you know, no fruit, no snacks for Jesus. And, um, and then there's the healing miracles, and the healing miracles kind of fall into some categories too. For me, exactly two categories. The regular healing miracles, which are incredible, and then the weird ones. And this is in the weird class. Because as I was reading it, some of you who are germaphobes like me were saying, oh, come on. Jesus, you couldn't come up with mud any other way than... And it's interesting when you read the account of the guy who was healed because he says, Jesus made mud. I don't think he knew that Jesus spit. I don't think he knew that there was spit on his face. He would have been at the pool washing a lot faster if he had known. It fits in the, in the category with the weird miracles, like a couple of them in, in Mark where Jesus says, uh, okay, this guy can't hear, so he, so he sticks his fingers in his ears, spits on the ground, and then touches the guy on the tongue and says, I should do it. And then in, in Mark chapter 8, the, he's got another guy who's blind, and so it's, the, the text says he spit on his eyes. I mean, just, you know, Jesus, heal me. Okay, right in his face, 
lays his hands on him and says, how's that? And the guy said, well, you're almost there. I can see people, but they look like trees walking around. And Jesus says, let's take another whack at it. <laughs> lays hands on him, and it works the second time. These are the weird miracles of Jesus. I am glad somebody wrote those down, that they didn't get edited out of the gospel stories. And, and here's, here's this one today. And, and that's how this text is usually handled. Oh, look at this incredible thing that Jesus did. Look at the bad Pharisees and ask Jesus for healing and as an application. And don't be bad like the Pharisees. The end. Oh, it's, oh, it's usually preached. But I think that that guy's story is our story because he had some sort of life-changing encounter with Jesus. I've seen some of you have your life-changing encounters. You're, you're, you're crying puddles to the place of where it becomes the ugly cry. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. We, um, these altars up here are well-seasoned both with tears and snot. Yeah. Um, because of the uh, that happens sometimes when people have their moment with Jesus. When you have one, a truly life-changing encounter with him, there's often, it, it can be a little messy. You know what I mean? And this guy walks uh, away from that experience, and immediately he tells some people, um, Jesus changed something for me. And they scratched their heads and went, come on, that sounds too good to be true. And then they took him to some religious authorities, because that's what people did in those days. And uh, the, the religious authorities said, oh, man, I, we having to deal with this on the Sabbath. Can't a guy get a day off? But Jesus keeps doing things that offend people on the Sabbath, and today it's us. He offends the religious authorities. So they start grilling this guy. And, and if you, you look at the interchange between them, I think we can see ourselves. In a, in a handful of, of ways. First of all, if, if you look at the first couple of verses, the disciples are cruising along and they see this guy who's blind. Jesus is with them. They're walking. They see him. And there's, there, there's some sort of spiritual insight that the disciples have. Everybody could tell that the guy's blind because he's the guy who's been there forever at the blind guy spot with the sign saying, please help the blind guy. Um, a lot of blind people also have some physical um, abnormalities about their eyes, and so you could, you could see that on the guy. And everybody said, yeah, it's the blind guy that we see there every day. They, they could tell that there was something broken on the outside, like everybody could. But these guys had some sort of spiritual insight because they said, Jesus, we think he's broken on the inside too. Jesus is about to say, man, my teaching ministry is working. These guys are getting it. But then they started the blaming and they said there has to be a cause and effect relationship between the brokenness on the inside and the brokenness on the outside. And we think that he is so broken on the inside, so messed up, so, so wrong, that God must have had to curse him physically and, and, and punish him cruelly because he's so rotten. Or maybe, maybe his parents are so rotten that God couldn't even like pour out the full extent of, of his justice and judgment on them and it had to spill over into the life of, of their kids. The parents are so bad that the kids are blind. So which is it, Jesus? Tell us who we should judge. And Jesus says, uh, how about I just shoot down your answer, give you one you're not going to like, and then get to the point. 
The point is, we need to help this guy, and we need to hurry. That's what the whole night is coming, won't have time to work thing. That's, that's what that whole speech was about is, we need to help this guy, and we need to do it quickly. And so the, the next several verses from like oh, verse 6 on to, to verse 23 is the story of the healing and the story of the, the first gripe session with the religious authorities. And uh, that section, uh, I, I just call it healings and hang-ups um, over all of the whys and what-fors. And none of that stuff in there changes anybody's life. None of that stuff in there changes anybody's life for the better. There is no good news in all of that. So you can take that part and just go, ah, let's read, let, thank you for the information, but let's move on. And when you get to verse 24 and 25 is where this thing really starts to take on the, the, the shape of a model for us. I don't want verses 1 and 2 to be the model for us, though they often are, right? I mean, isn't it the case that we, we gain some kind of insight where we go, there's, hmm, There's something wrong in that guy's life. There's something wrong in that gal's life. And we move immediately, unfortunately, a lot of the time, from compassion to judgment. Jesus is calling us in verses 1 and 2 to leave behind the lens that we grew up with and to, to adopt his lens that says, how about you move from judgment to how fast can we help him? When we get down to verses 24 and 25, though, I think instead of being in, in the disciples' shoes, I think we're in the shoes of the guy who just got healed. He's been healed, and, and he's had a handful of, of conversations already about his life-changing experience with Jesus, and none of them have gone well. His, uh, his neighbors said, ah, this sounds like a punishable offense, so they drag him to Jesus and said, celebrating that the blind guy can see. His parents have a conversation with him and go, this could really get us in trouble. Are you kidding me? Your kid's been blind forever? And what you're thinking is this could get us in trouble? You know what I'm saying to the authorities that day? Do what you want. My kid can see. His parents didn't have that kind of conversation. They said, we should back out of this slowly and politely. No sense upsetting anyone. His uh, conversation with the Pharisees hadn't gone well. They're just bad-mouthing him and blaming him. But this conversation that takes place then, the second time, between the man who had been healed and the religious authorities is, is fantastic to me because it's a perfect model of my life and yours if... We, if we try to do anything about this sacred obligation that we have to share our life-changing news with other people. See, they asked the guy a question. What do you think about this guy? Tell us how he did it. You know, the, 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 they gave him the third degree, right? And you know what his answer was? I don't know. You see, the guy didn't know everything about Jesus. No, uh, no seminary degrees, no Christian leadership training diplomas, No, I've been to Sunday school for 38 years and I've studied every book of the Bible 17 times and I can recite to you what you need to know about the Messiah. None of that. He didn't know anything. He wasn't even sure that it was Jesus. He said, it's the man they call Jesus. I I suppose it was the real Jesus. But the rest of the stuff, I don't know. Hey, friends, listen. You don't have to know everything about Jesus. 
to have meaningful conversations about him. You know why churches generally have one or two people around that have gone to college and seminary? That's all you need. (laughs) You don't need more than that. Religious experts don't do that well for Jesus most of the time. It's just the people who love him passionately. They're the ones who do the best work and the most work for Jesus. He's not looking for a bunch of experts to go out there and, um, and give speeches about him. He's looking for his friends who will say, I have a great friend. I sure would like for you to meet him. You do not have to know much about Jesus beyond his name and what he has done in your life for you to have a conversation that can change the eternity of members of your family, your friends, uh, the people at the office or the mill or the plant. I also like the simplicity of, of the man's answer. Here's the sum total of his Jesus story. I used to be blind, and now I'm not. Here's what my life used to be like, and here's what my life is like now. Kind of awesome, isn't it? That man's simple little statement, standing in front of all these people who were hoping for a long theological treatise, kind of flew in their faces and I think becomes a very effective model for any of us who want to be the followers of Jesus just going about doing daily life with our families, with the teammates at, the, at work, whatever. And those people are not around you are not looking for long theological explanations. That's just stuff people fight about on Facebook. Nobody wants that face to face. They just want to know What's the deal in your life, and how can, I, how can I get some of that? And so, honestly, as honest as I know how to, to talk to you, I'll, I'll reach back to the beginning of the sermon and say, just start talking about something spiritual, and you watch. God the Holy Spirit will take this conversation to the place where they start asking you questions, like, what's the deal with you? You always seem to have peace, and I don't have any. You are one of the happiest people that I know. What's going on in your life? Why are you always so up? Man, I know what's going on in your life. How is that not just destroying you? They will begin to ask the questions that just give you the opportunity to say, well, the answer is my faith in Jesus. Because here's what my life used to be like. I was a worrier, and now I trust him and I have peace. Or, here's what my life was like before. I was in the chains of addiction. And Jesus broke the power that those things had over me. And now, I live victoriously. Tempted still, yeah. But I I win the struggle with his help from day to day. Here's what my relationships were like before when I was trying to, to make everything go my way and messed them all up and then tried to fix them under my own power. And here's the story of redemption and reconciliation that God's working in my life today. My friends, it is as simple as saying, I was blind, but now I see. Here's what my life used to be like, and here's what my life is like now. And the the transition point, the breakover point between those two lives, very different versions of life, was that I decided to trust Jesus. 
When they say, trust him to do what? You can honestly say, I don't know, let's go ask my pastor, okay? If you don't know the answer to that, you can say, let's go ask my pastor. Bring him to church, bring him to my office, call me, whatever, we'll go get coffee. Uh, But all I'm saying is this. All it takes is the testimony of a changed life. They've already seen it in you. All it takes is, is the power of a changed life and willingness on your part to be used by God the Holy Spirit for you to have the significant surprise, unplanned, unrehearsed conversations that the Holy Spirit starts guiding down the path toward the moment of salvation for people who do not yet know him, toward the moment of relief for the people who are bearing heavy, heavy burdens right now. I don't know much about Jesus, but I know that I was blind, and I know that now I can see. The guy talked about a struggle in his life and how the struggle got the best of him and how Jesus got the best of the struggle. And because of that, his life was changed. Now, I remember being, oh, I think I was 17. They offered a class at my church on how to share the gospel. The book was like that thick. The book was thicker than any of the life stories of Jesus. I didn't like the class, and I don't remember any of it. And I think it's to the benefit of the kingdom. Because instead of me and my spiel, my Jesus shtick, I get to talk to people about the reality of my life. See, Almost nobody comes to me anymore and says, what's the Bible say about blah? Because they have the Google, like, like me, right? Nobody, nobody, nobody needs me for, for the answers that can be looked up. But people look to you and to me for hope, for hope that their lives can be different. And you can't look up hope and get any of it. Type in the letters, it'll give you a definition. But you can't extract any of the hope from the screen, and it doesn't seem to be trying to give it to you. But if you come to talk to me about the reason that I have hope in my life, I believe there's hope for yours too. And I'm going to tell you the reason for the hope that I have. See, your friends and your family and your coworkers and your neighbors and your teammates and your enemies... They already see these things in your life. And they really are hoping that at some point, you and they will have an opportunity to talk about them. I know that one of our adult Sunday school classes this morning um, put a list on the board of all the people that they love and care about enough to pray about right now relative to having that saving, life-changing moment with Jesus. Rob Sawyer, thank you for leading a class to do that. That is, that's the, that's, that's the, the life of Christ being lived out in you and your, and your classmates. And what I want to do this morning is I want to I call all of us, not to some horrible, scary task, just to talk about the life that we enjoy. 
The, the, the guy gave us another example in there. He blew it. I mean, when they, when they talked with him a little bit further, he finally, you know, he lost his temper and started screaming and yelling at them and baiting them. The Bible's full of more bad examples than it is good examples. But the guy got this much right. It was Jesus that made the difference between blind me and seeing me. And that story has been preserved for 2,000 years for a reason. Because God the Holy Spirit wanted you to hear it and to believe that if you get it wrong, if, if, if you start talking about Leviticus, things to work with that. That if in your fear and worry, you, you can't remember anything more than, I just love him. I just love Jesus. And I, he makes a difference in my life. He's pledged himself to work with that. It just takes people who are willing to start the conversation. I think I made a slide, Luke. Is there a slide with like some conversation starters or did I scrap that one? Yeah, here, here's some questions. Just, and, and these come up in, in everyday conversation. Can I ask you a personal question? I always recommend that if you're going to talk about anything that matters, ask people first if you can ask them a personal question. May I ask you a personal question? Here's one. On a scale of one to ten... How interested are you in spiritual things? One, all right, I'm a little more interested in that, thanks. They're not ready, if they're a one, okay, they're not ready. Let's say a six, really, why a six? And, oh, here goes the conversation, God takes it somewhere. You remember any special spiritual experiences in your life? Do you have a religious background? What are the beliefs that are most important to you? What brings you the most peace in life? What's what's been the biggest challenge in your life so far? How'd you get through that? Here's another one. You want the the easy, the two easiest ones? Here you go. Seen any good movies lately? What are you reading these days? Those two conversations are magic in terms of creating opportunities for you to just talk about spiritual things. In other words, it doesn't take hardly anything to get this conversation going the direction of a spiritual conversation with somebody you care about, aside from the help of God's Holy Spirit. So here's how I want to end the service today. I'm not going to ask for you to give me names. I'll do that some other times. I'm not going to ask for all the people who promised to, you know, Give the spiel this week to raise their hands or fill out a card. We're not doing that. Don't believe in that. Instead, I want us to gather around the Lord's table. He, uh, the night that he was betrayed, he took the elements of a meal and he said, I think these could remind you of me. And then he, he, he said, they're my flesh and they're my blood. And then he gave them his flesh and his blood to his disciples, believing that this would help connect them to God.
Whenever we gather for this ceremony in the church, we are reenacting something that happened a long time ago, but not just remembering it. We actually believe that the Lord himself is present with us and once again is, is made present among us. But the reason that I want to end the service this way today is, is partly for us and partly for the people out there who don't have any idea what this is about. Because what the scriptures teach is that when you come to faith in Jesus, his spirit comes to live in you and you become his flesh and blood out there in the world. You see, the way that Jesus is hoping to get those folks out there connected to God is by giving you to them. And so, this morning as we serve the communion elements, uh, worship team, come ahead. Um, we invite any who have faith in Jesus to take these emblems and, and enjoy the meal with us, an incredible memory of what Jesus has done, but also to meet Jesus and, and commune with him for a few moments. But all of us who know Jesus have a sacred obligation. And this morning, would you just, as, as you take the, the bread and the wine, would you just open yourself up to a conversation with God and say, is there somebody you'd like me to talk to? And if he doesn't have anybody today, he won't make up names. But if he's been working on someone close to you, um, and he's got them almost ready, I'm telling you, he will tell you their names. And this can go from, <gasps> surprise, I'm not ready, to, Lord, get me ready. I'll keep praying and waiting for the opportunity. All I know is this. God doesn't waste willingness. So if we today will get honest and open to him. He's going to use a bunch of us here, real short like, to share the very best life-changing news with some people that we love. And then we'll have to teach them what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, how to really connect with him, how to stay connected, how to connect a bunch of their friends to God, how to grow in their faith and and. Then we'll invite them to serve alongside us too. And they will know the joy and the peace that we know. You want that for your friends, right? Yeah. Communion teams are going to come. I'll have you remain seated. And they're going to pass the elements around. We just, uh, we invite you to take both elements and hold them until everybody's been served. And then then we'll uh, partake of them together.